Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 23. Genesis chapter 23 is where we're going to be this morning. Read a statistic this past week that said 20.3% of Americans are afraid or very afraid of dying. I would say after the, this past week and few weeks, those statistics may have gone up. And I imagine they may have gone up even more so since 2017. And, and I will say, none of us are excited about the prospect of how we're going to die, right? But we as Christians should not be afraid to pass from this life to the next. Because we believe in God's promises to us. We finish this week our series on Abraham by noticing a narrative in the account that probably you have read many times, some of you, and, and you really never thought too much about it. You just thought it was a historical record that's being given. But there is some powerful significance that is being given to us that we can see in our own lives today. And so we'll just get started right here in verse 1. It says, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kerath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Did you know that Sarah is the only woman in the Bible that God changed her name to something else? She went from being Sarai, which means my princess, to Sarah, meaning princess. And the reason is that she was to be blessed by God, to be, to be the mother of kings and nations, that, oops, nations to come. We know about Israel, but she also of the Temanites and the Edomites and the Amalekites. It is through her line that the Savior of the world is going to come through Abraham and Sarah, not just in one line, but two lines to the Messiah. She is the only woman in the Bible whose death and age at her time of death is given. Did you know that? We're not given the age of, of Eve. We're not given of Rachel or Leah or Rebecca. We're not given the age of Bathsheba, not even Mary, the mother of Jesus, only Sarah. And it says that she is 127 years old when she dies in Hebron. Hebron is the place where they first came into the land and they settled, Abraham and Sarah, when after God had sent them on this great track to follow him, that he's going to give them this great promise. But now Abraham is in Hebron, and he's looking for a place to bury his wife. So verse 3 picks up, And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. He says here, it's very key, he is a foreigner. He's a sojourner. He is what we call a resident alien. He has no rights to own property. 
he has to ask those who are inhabiting that, the land of the, there at the Hittites, he has to ask them for permission for a place to lay his wife's body. So we keep going. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God. Among us, and he says, bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder from burying your dead. That's good news. They know who Abraham is. If you know your, your Abraham history, you know back in chapter 14, he left a, left a group of allies from Hebron over this great victory over the, the, uh, the army of the Mesopotamian army. It's been a couple of decades, but they remember him. And they say, listen, you go out and you find the choicest of our tombs and just go ahead and bury your wife there. It seems like everything's working out. But Abraham wants more. So he says in verse 7, Abraham rose and he bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, if you're willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me. And entreat me for, for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelia, which he owns. It is at the end of his field for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. And as I said, a lot of times we read over this and we don't think anything about it. But what they are doing here is they are offering Abraham a place just to go bury his wife. He's not going to own it, but look, you can just put her there if you want. Abraham says, I want to buy the property. You ever heard the, the phrase, don't look a gift horse in the mouth? That's an old phrase. It, horses, as they get older, they grow more teeth. And it begins to change the shape of their mouth. And even their teeth will begin to protrude out. And it means that, look, if someone gives you a horse as a gift, be appreciative of it. Don't try to look at the teeth and to figure out whether the value of the gift that they're giving and wishing that they had given you a better gift. And we look at Abraham, we have to say to ourselves, is that what Abraham's doing? One of the overall themes of Genesis is that God, not human beings, is the sole source of the blessings of, of Abraham and his family. It is the same reason that he went on and he rejected the reward from the king of Sodom after rescuing them for that exact same reason. What he's doing by asking for land, owning land, is he is making a statement of faith. At the time that Sarah passes away, not many of the promises of God have been fulfilled. The only land, if you will, that Abraham has is a well down in Beersheba. And it is far cry from him being a landowner. It simply gave him exclusive rights to draw water from this well. He only had exclusive rights for a well. But let's assess things just based on the promises that God has made to Abraham. It'll make you a great name, great nation. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you. The number of the stars is going to be your offspring. 
You're going to be the father of, of a multitude of nations. All this kind of stuff. Great stuff, right? But then when we look at things and we see, okay, Sarah has died. What do they have? Sarah has a son, Isaac. He is now a 37-year-old bachelor. Sarah never got to hold a grandchild, which the chapelleers will tell you this morning was a tragedy. She never got to see any of those grandchildren playing. Abraham is 137 years old. He is not in possession of the land. If he were to die, Isaac inherits a well down in the deep south, just barely still in the land that God had promised them that they would one day inherit. Now, he's got a good name among the Hittites. You just saw that, but it's a far cry from the great name that's going to be given among all these nations. Sarah died without experiencing any of these things. She, she didn't see the seed of the woman who would come and to bruise the serpent's head that was promised long ago where all the nations of the earth would be blessed through that seed. But the writer of the book of Hebrews says that she lived her life by faith. And goes on and says about Sarah, as well as Abraham and some others, it says they also died in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. It is a great example of this tension that we find in Scripture of the already not yet right? Though they had not received the blessings, they have faith that God is going to do exactly what he says he's going to do. Abraham's faith is similar to Jeremiah. If you read Jeremiah 32, it's so fascinating. The Babylonians, it is the eve of Babylonian, of the siege for the Babylonians on Israel. They are going to sack this place. They are going to be carted off into captivity. Jeremiah knew exactly that. But on the eve that all of this is happening, he buys a field. Because he believed that God was going to bring a remnant back to this land and they would be able to enjoy the good land after all. So negotiations begin. But Abraham is not exactly in a position to haggle the price, is he? Ephraim also throws in the field. He says, listen, there's, there's that field by the cave of Machpelah. I'm going to throw that in too. And it sounds like, man, what a good guy this guy Ephraim is. But that was simply to incur the full property taxes of the plot of land according to Hittite law. It comes to 400 shekels of silver. Of course, that means nothing to us. But let me tell you, it's a ripoff. It is a major ripoff. To give you a, a point of reference, 1,500 years later, in the future, David is going to pay an eighth of that price, 50 shekels, for the land that the temple is going to be built on. Abraham doesn't bat an eye. We understand inflation, right? We understand the housing market. We understand how much land. But let me tell you, what was being offered here was 
was incredible. But Abraham accepts the price, he finishes the deal. And it seems almost ironic, doesn't it? That Abraham is going to buy this little piece of land, it's smaller than this dot in Hebron, when God has promised him all of this, this land that he's going to give him. Isn't it ironic he's having to pay this kind of price? But you need to understand that this land is going to preach the gospel to his son Isaac. It's going to preach the gospel to his grandson, his future grandson, Jacob. To the future descendants of Israel for the next 400 years. In the church, sometimes older Christians are not given the respect that they are due. But they have a godly influence on the younger generation. There are many who have lived their lives in faith. They have walked with the Lord for 50 or more years. They are wise. They are sensitive. They are prayerful. They're dedicated to the family. They are eager to hear God's word. They've never given up. They've never allowed sin to overtake them. They've never lost hope even when the nation grows dark at times. And these are people who should be treasured. Live by faith. Grow old in faith. Leave a legacy of faith to the next generation. Make statements of faith that these generations, long after you are dead and gone, will continue to remember and they will continue to believe. I, I have in my office, my dad had brought me this a couple of years ago, and it's a recognition to my grandfather for being on the, the board of trustees at Fried Hardeman University. It's one of our Christian colleges, and he did this for many, many years. He gave tens of thousands of dollars to the university and for scholarships for future preachers. Now, I'll show you this because he didn't even get the, he, he only got a little bit of a sliver of the land. My grandfather was kicked out of Freed Hardeman <laughs> when he was there by actually Brother N.B. Hardeman at the time. He was wanting to be a preacher. They didn't have any money. He was on scholarship, and after the first semester, Brother Hardeman called him in his office, and he said, do you have money to pay for the next semester? And my grandfather said no. And he said, well, we just don't think you have what it takes to be a preacher, and they withdrew his scholarship. And he went on, and, and he made a business and made a, a, a success for himself, and then he ended up giving all this money to this same college. Because even though Papaw didn't receive the land, he believed in a Christian education. He believed in training preachers for the future. I also have this in my office. This is one of the Bibles of Boyd Williams. Most of our people remember Boyd. Boyd was a preacher. He was an elder. He was a good, godly man. If you look through this little Bible, it's got notes all through it. It's got 
you know, underlined and highlighted. It's got little sermons throughout. And it's just a sliver of the hope that Brother Boyd had in the, in the heavenly promised land. And I keep these things because they are statements of faith. Whether they realize it at the time or not. And sometimes it's not even a physical thing as much as it is encouragement that we receive. We've had people in this church that I've known since I have been here who have come and they have, they have passed on from this world and they were a tremendous influence on myself and so many others. People like, people like uh, Earl and Phyllis Holman and Dorothy Mora and Peggy Stevens and Helen Rathel. These are just to name a few. Uh, and these and many others have made statements of faith. And some of you, you are where you are today because they taught you the gospel somehow. Someone, maybe not them, maybe someone else. Maybe they encourage you in a time when you're ready to give up. But they helped you to keep going. It begs the question, what will your faith say to the next generation? And I really think that's a question we've got to answer for ourselves. What will my faith say to the next generation of Christians? By the end of Genesis, we know that Sarah is buried there, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Rebekah, and Rachel, and Leah. And then we see that his, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, he dies in Egypt. But they bring him back to the family burial plot. They're the cave of Machpelia, and they bury him there. And then we see Joseph. Joseph, he is the great-grandson of Abraham, and it, he dies. And his last request, do you know what his last request was? He says, listen, don't, he doesn't say, go ahead and bury me back in the, in the, in the family cave. What he says is, when God gives the people the promised land. He says, I want you to take my body, I want you to exhume it, and then I want you to carry it into the land and bury me there. And 400 years later, it's exactly what happened. Ephraim walked away thinking that he had worked the deal of a lifetime, but Abraham knew the great significance and the value of that little sliver of land. And some of what he believes still has not been fulfilled yet. Did you know that? He go, in Hebrews 11, it says, For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He looked even beyond the physical land to, to the city that is echoing these future visions that's going to be given by men like uh, the prophets Ezekiel. And even at the end, of, in, in Revelation 21 and 22, it calls for this new Jerusalem that's coming down, God's ultimate conquest of sin and death. But I'm here to tell you, the world's going to ask you to pay an exorbitant price for you to have a piece of that land. Because you're going to be treated as a foreigner sometimes. Your values will be mocked. Your faith will come in question. But we have to answer the question of what our faith is worth. 
In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives this parable. It's about a wholesale merchant dealer. And he's looking, he's on this trip, and he's looking for fine pearls. And he comes across this one. It is of great price. And he goes and he sells everything that he has just so he can buy this one great pearl of price. And the point of the parable is not that we, we, we buy our way into heaven. The point is for us to see the value, the extreme value of the kingdom of heaven and that we should be willing to give up everything, anything in our lives in order to have this great pearl of price. What is your faith worth? What is your faith worth? Oscar Wilde said, nowadays people know the price of everything and the value of nothing. And he says this at the end of the 1800s, I believe. But I would say that's still true today, don't you? Anybody know the, ga- the price of gas? Anybody know the price of bacon? <laughs> oh, we know prices, don't we? But do we understand the value of forgiveness the value of eternal life the value of of godly friends and and worshiping with people who hold the same values live with an eternal perspective that's what abraham does that's what Sarah does as well, and we're asked to do the same, to set our minds on things that are above. And so we pray to our Father in where? Heaven. And we need to take moments that we sit and we think about the day that that heaven is finally going to come with Jesus at his return. And to take those moments to breathe in the air of a better country is the way the Hebrew writer puts it. You see, we stand where Abraham stood 400 years ago. Because if you are a child of God, then you already are a citizen of heaven. But we have not possessed the full inheritance of that glorified and resurrected body that's going to come with Jesus. And that recreation, the new creation of the heavens and the earth. But here's what we do know. God is faithful. You believe that? You believe it? Say it with me. God is faithful. Death does not exhaust the promises of God. Did it with Sarah? No. Did it with Abraham? No. And these stories are supposed to show us that that this is the child that's going to be the seed that would come into the world. And 1 Corinthians goes on to tell us that death no longer has a sting because Jesus rose. Listen, you can go over into the Holy Land and you you can go where the cave of Machpelia is today, which is, by the way, a mosque. You can go there. And those bones are still in there somewhere. And if you can somehow find... The, the, the tomb of Jesus, you'll realize there are, there are no bones there. Because he rose. Two chapters later, we find out that Abraham dies. He goes on and lives a life. He gets remarried and has kids. But 
what we see here and what's significant. And we, again, it's one of those things that a lot of times we pass over. It just simply says he died in a good old age. Why is that important? Because he said earlier, this is exactly what you will do. And this is when God counted to him righteousness by his faith and made a covenant with him. And now he's died in a good old age. And what we also go on to see is that there is a contrast that's going to be made with Abraham and with Jacob. Abraham dies in a good old age, but Jacob is going to die with few and evil have been his days. And there is a theme, this contrast of good versus evil, that starts all the way back in Genesis, those first three chapters. And we see this contrast continues on throughout the book, even till you get to the very end. Through God's dealing with the patriarchs and Joseph, he continued to bring about a good plan, and that is despite the evil in the world and the faults of those who were following God. And this is given to us to show God's people that we can continue to trust Him, that we can believe that in all things, God works together for the good for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Listen, God wants us to come away from these narratives with a renewed sense of faith and assurance. The good work he began in us, it will be brought to completion one day with the coming of the Lord. And so it really comes down to where are we in all of this? Where is my faith? What is my faith worth? What kind of statements of faith that I'm making to the next generation? And some of you may say, I just don't even have a faith. Well, let's start there. Because I just want to show you how God has continued, has this plan that just begins in Genesis and it just continues on to the very end of Revelation. And we are awaiting that great day. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. And, and if you're a person this morning and you're down on your faith and you're down on, you know, and you look at your life and you say, you know what? Then listen, let these narratives speak to you. Let the faith of the patriarchs speak to you. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this day and we just give you thanks and praise for all that you've done. Father, we know that we fail you. And Father, we know that we sin. But Father, help us to continue to stay in this walk with you. We pray for your spirit to continue to guide us and lead us, to show us in those ways where we're wrong and to do those things that are right. But Father, we trust you and we believe that you will bring good even out of all the evil that is happening in this world right now. We believe. We believe, Father, you are good. We believe you keep your promises. Father, I pray for those who may be here this morning and maybe their own faith is in doubt. We don't want that. You don't want that. 
Maybe there's some that are, are, are searching right now. Father, help us. Whether it's me or whether it's someone else in this church. But Father, please help us. Help us to lead them, guide them to your son, Jesus. And so, Father, we just, we just ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, the seed of woman who came. And we say, amen.